The NAESP Principal Podcast is sponsored by the National Association of Elementary School Principals, supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade. Whether you're looking to develop your professional learning network, extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost, or you want to level up your professional development, NAESP has you covered. Hello, principals, and welcome to the NAESP Principal Podcast. My name is Rachel George, and I am an elementary principal in Oregon, also an NAESP fellow. And my name is Adam Welcome. I'm an elementary principal in California and also a fellow with NAESP in the Innovation Center. Awesome. Well, hey, Adam and I are so excited to bring you all this NAESP principal podcast so we can talk about real ideas with amazing principals and to help make your leadership stronger and more innovative. Yeah. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about recruiting and retaining employees, which I think is always on the mind of people. And, you know, Rachel, we're trying to time these episodes with what is happening in the life of a principal currently. So people are maybe moving and like, you got to retain those people. And if people move or retire, you got to recruit those people. And does that happen all year round? I mean, on some level, but there's definitely a season for this. So Rachel, you are an experienced principal. What are your just kind of initial global 30,000 foot thoughts on recruiting and retainment of employees? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're, you're spot on. It is year round. You always have to be thinking about what might open within your building, what you're going to need to fill coming up, who's kind of on the radar, maybe for retirement or looking for that next step. So always having some folks on deck, I think is imperative, but you know what? It's about finding the right fit. Sure. You can have a whole slew of applicants. I think some years it's speed dating. I just line them up and I interview like 10 minutes with every single person because they all have similar applications, but it's not just about getting bodies. It's about finding that right fit. And, you know, I think that's where as leaders, we need to be really transparent about what our culture is, what our expectations are and what our building is because Hey, that's bad business. When you totally pull someone in, into your building and you pretend to be somebody else or that your school is something that it's not right. That's the number one way people are going to leave your building that following year. As soon as springtime and this season rolls around, they're going to be out. And then once, once you get them in and you're transparent and honest about what your building is about and your leadership, you need to go gangbusters, in my opinion, about making sure that they're supported, that they have the materials, they have the leadership, they have every single thing that they need to set them up for success. I mean, you and I both know that being an educator is hard and being a brand new teacher in a brand new building is so difficult. And if you don't have a go-to person to be able to help a system, you're shooting yourself in the foot from the very beginning. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think this problem has gotten to be more of a problem the last number of years. I remember 10 years ago when I was a brand new principal and I would have one opening, I would have 150 applicants for that one teaching position. Let's just talk about certificated right now. And I know everybody's a little bit different where you live across the country. I live in the Bay Area, you know, suburban area, a lot of people. And then over the years, it's got to be like, I would have 75 applicants. I'd have 30 applicants. Sometimes I would have like 15 applicants. And that recruitment was really, was really, really tough. And here's where I think is really important to think about. It is 
obviously the culture at your school, but then also what I found is sharing what the culture is as much as you can with the world. Because after a couple of years, I had teachers reaching out to me or my office manager or bringing by applications or like a little video they would make. They would say, hey, if, uh, if you have any openings, please keep me in mind. And there wasn't anything posted. And I think, I think companies do that really well. Like, gosh, I love Apple. I wanna work there because I love their culture or I love this company or whatever, whatever it may be. And I would just say from a recruitment and a retainment standpoint, from a 30,000 foot level, obviously there's, there's more on the ground things that you need to do. It's just building that culture, taking care of your people. Um, and it can be big things or it can be small things. I mean, something that was small, but ended up being big. When, when I got to one of the schools where I was principal, they all had desktop computers. And I just kind of sh- scratched my head, like, how can we expect teachers to be 21st century teachers when they're tied to their desk? I mean, I I go everywhere with my laptop. So I worked with my parent community and uh, and donations and any budgets I had, and we bought every teacher a a MacBook Air. And that just changed other teachers in the district. At first, were I think kind of upset because they're like, how come we don't get a MacBook Air? But then they turned it to be like, hey, I want to work there because they take care of their people. And I think, I think that's a really, those are some things to think about. You know, if you keep the gates closed and a curtain around your school and people don't know, people won't know, and then they won't potentially want to join your team. I want choice. I don't want to be like, okay, we'll hire them because there's nobody else to hire. So those are kind of my initial thoughts. But I think it's also important to break down, Rachel, the difference between recruiting and the difference between retaining, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. break them down for us. What are your, what are your overall thoughts about between the two? Well, I think obviously recruitment comes first, right? <laughs> Before retaining. <laughs> yes. You, you can't retain unless you recruit. <laughs> right. So yes. you need to make sure you're branding and that you're putting yourself out there and that you're always looking for fantastic candidates. I found some success with reaching out to all of our local universities, volunteering to do job interview or mock interviews with folks. It's like a fresh look, first look at some of our teacher candidates before they even hit the major job fair within the state of Oregon. That's been awesome. You know, mid-season when you're really needing some spots, even reaching out to universities that have people in the pipeline that don't have their initial certificate completed. We have sponsored a ton of fantastic teachers over the years because it's a great fit for our organization, for their personality and heck, right? We're going to invest in them and then they'll stay vested with us. It's super, super positive. Hey, let me tell you an investment story. I was in Kansas last summer speaking two summers ago and the superintendent told me that they bought two small homes that are across the street from the school district now this is small town Kansas they bought those homes because they get student teachers from like two hours away they let them stay in those homes for free while they are doing their student teaching because they then want them to stay and work because that is a large problem that they have in these rural areas. They don't have any candidates. So they put their money where their mouth was or they just realized that like, hey, this is going to be a good investment. So that's kind of an extreme idea. But hey, like if you need to recruit and you need to retain, like maybe you need to do that and you're going to get some really quality people. 
Oh, I love that. Hey, what are your thoughts on retainment? How do you see that being different too? I'd love your thoughts. Yeah, I, I would say I'd go back to just the culture piece and I'm constantly checking in with my people and making sure they have what they need. Uh, I, I believe a leader should anticipate. I think that anticipation skill is really important. Anticipate a need before it becomes the need. Anticipate a problem before it comes becomes a problem. So if I feel maybe an employee is un, is unhappy or not or not challenged because that is a problem too, I need to make sure that that person is being fulfilled professionally and from a culture standpoint. So it's knowing your people, checking in with your people, cheering your people on, sending them to training and professional development. I remember years ago, I had a teacher who I felt was kind of, she was just kind of not super like engaged. And I felt mm. like, I felt like I was going to lose her. So I remember saying like, Hey, have you ever thought about school leadership? I think you have what it takes. Boom, like different person. I kind of like, she was like a Ferrari, but she was in second gear and third gear. And she just needed that extra challenge to go, yeah, like let's, let's bring you along. And hey, like years later, like she's now an administrator. So sometimes it's, maybe they don't even go down that path, but it's, it's really, it's keeping them engaged, which is the same with kids too. Like, hey, you think about our kids and, or whoever they are and whatever, wherever they are academically or socially, it's, it's making sure that they're challenged as well too. So leaders don't forget that same idea with your employees. Um, well, and you can build that into your systems and structures or your routines throughout the school year, right? Like check in with them continuously, but also really take that to the next level come springtime. Hey, Adam, what are your goals? What, are, what do you want to be doing in five years, three years, one year? What are some things that you're passionate about that you would really like to take on? What opportunities can I help create for you? So then that way I'm customizing all of the different options and support that I'm providing to you, even if you've been in my building five, eight years, or if you're a brand new teacher, right? Because we really need to be specific about how we're supporting people. It's not a one size fits all at all. Yeah, no. And I think what you said earlier too about reaching out to those universities is so valuable. And if you can go in person and talk to a class of credential students and you know it's kind of like they're touring the new model home and they want to figure out which model they want to buy like hey that's a real deal i remember 10 years ago we had so many candidates at a, at a job fair that, that we had put on in our district that they were like beating the door down to talk to principals and things have changed so it's, that's where I go out like to the culture, what you're putting out, and then you yourself go out there. I taught a, a class at, at a junior college. It was like intro to education years and years ago. And then years later, I was a principal and I was at a job fair hiring like four teachers. And this teacher comes up to me and she said, hey, do you, do you remember me? I was one of your students when you taught my class at the junior college. She's like, I want to work at your school. And right away, I told myself, done, like, I'm going to hire her. And she was one of the best teachers I ever hired. And I didn't even teach that class wanting to recruit teachers. But again, it's the relationship. It's what you put out there. It's your mojo and your energy. Do people want to uh, want to join your team? So mm -hmm. question, we both live and work in, in different areas. Like you're a little bit more rural and I'm more urban. Mm -hmm. I think there's a small town 
recruitment and retainment problem. And I think a lot of people that are listening are probably nodding their head. Yes. Mm -hmm. Talk about the challenges, maybe like the unique challenges of just, just geography with where you live or where a lot of, a lot of schools are across this country. Mm -hmm. Oh man, that's a constant battle that we face. So we're just right outside the Portland Metro area, which is the biggest area and heavily populated spot within Oregon. So we have a lot of folks that come from out of state that want to move to Oregon. They want to live in the city and they think, ah, I'll commute for a little bit. So we end up hiring folks and they'll stay for a year or two. And then they decide to take a job closer to home. And, you know, at first I got my feelings hurt over it and I was really frustrated by it. And I'm like, man, I need to hire people that are vested in our, in our community. But my superintendent really encouraged me to have a different outlook. And I, I think that this is a great perspective um, for folks to consider, you know, his viewpoint and his thought was like, even if it's for two years, or even if it's for three or a short amount of time, you're helping that person out. So while it might make your leadership or that building dynamic change a little bit more frequently than you like, you're serving them. You're providing that opportunity, that training. And even though you're investing a lot of money, Rachel, because I do, I put like 50% of my building budget into PD because I just believe and really strongly feel about supporting teachers and their continued growth. So I'm watching these dollars walk out the door and Aaron was like, Rachel, get over it. This is going to help kids anywhere in the state of Oregon. And that's a win. So you need to stop looking at your boundary lines within your school or our district and look at them as all of our students. And that really helped me like emotionally kind of disengage from getting my feelings hurt. Now I still continued to really find people that were a living in the community that I knew B would stay a while. And that started to be embedded in the conversation that I had when I started interviewing folks now, because we don't get a lot of candidates or the candidates we do get, their application is all the same. They're brand new baby teachers, super, super green right out of teacher school. I can't tell the difference between their applications. I don't know about you, but like they just start to blend together. Even if you have a variety of different experiences. So I set up, and this is a killer on time, but I'm telling you, it's a game changer. I set up interviews with every single person. Now they're not long. They're like 15 minutes and they're back to back, but within that 10 to 15 minute time span, I can get such a good read about their personality, their drive, their why, what their core values are. And if they're going to be a good fit, because I'm also kind of a little Pollyanna that if I can get them in and it's a good fit, I can probably negotiate and keep that support going to keep them hooked in and invested in our community. And we've actually had three to four teachers that were commuting from the metro area deep in Portland to us. And after being with us just two, three years, they decided to purchase a home out where we're at. And that is a huge, huge deal. So those are some of the different things that I have found success with. Uh, what about you? You have a whole different realm being more in a, like in an urban area, lots of people. Yeah. Well, I think what you said to go back and if you haven't listened to episode one, pause this episode, go back and listen to episode one with Rachel and myself and Zandra about the questioning and the hiring and some of those things, even though we talked about principle, you, you, the principal interviewing and looking for a job, the, the same mindset goes like getting to know the person I think is so important because to what you said on paper, they all look very similar, but I want to get to know uh, I want to get to know the person. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think what I've already said. I don't really know if I have anything new to say about about that. I think culture, take care of your people, 
you want to take care of your people so well and care about them so much that they brag to other educator friends about how awesome their school is. So then their friends want to come and work with you. I think that is, that's the goal. That's the mindset. Like we're going to make this place so cool. I, as the principal, don't need to say anything because everybody around me is going to do that for me. So Something I do want to talk about, though, which I know in my past has been a challenge, and I, I talk to a lot of other leaders as well, is classified staff. Mm -hmm. And I would say especially there's two. We don't deal with them in California because um, we don't have busing, but bus drivers, but also I would think paraeducators or aides. I know that has been a challenge where like trying to recruit and retain paraeducators and, 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 and these aides that work in classrooms that work with our, our special education classrooms. There's, you know, there can be one teacher and three aides in a classroom to help support um, students with special needs. And it's been a challenge to find them, to train them and to keep them. And I remember I was a principal at one school and I remember I had, I think I had like 13 aides. We had a high special ed population. And I just kind of needed to figure out who everybody was and, and what they were doing. And I called a meeting and the meeting, everybody thought they were in trouble because people, they hadn't been met, bef met with before. And we had them at the conference table and I, and I just said, hey, just thank you for being here. Thanks for all the work that you do. Uh, my name's Adam and this is kind of what I'm about. And I just want to hear like what you do and what you need. And they all kind of looked around at each other and they said, nobody's ever met with us before. Like they hadn't had any training. They really didn't have any attention. So I think too, Rachel, from the retainment standpoint, your classified staff is important, but I think don't separate classified and certificated. Sorry, your certificate is important. It's just staff. It's part of the team. And I've seen, I've seen leaders over the years put more focus on certificated and not as much on classified. And it needs to be, it needs to be equal um, for many reasons. But I think from a retainment standpoint, that attention, the professional development, making sure that they have the equipment. Oh, do you need a document camera? Because you work with some students in the learning lab. I'll get one for you what? Like that's a hundred dollar investment that just goes so far. They are going to feel appreciated and they do so much work with the students. So step back a little bit. And if you're not already looking at your staff as the entire team, don't separate them into silos, classified, certificated, and kind of all these different things. So what do you think about that? Is that an issue? Is that a concern where you are, or do you have any strategies about it? Yeah, no, it is, but I got to be honest, I'm still fixated on the fact that you don't have buses. Seriously? No, people just, no, no. So my first school where I was principal, actually where I went to school, there was like two U-shaped entries where they used to have buses, but funding in California is such that we have buses for special education students. So uh -huh. if you live in a different zone, we, you know, they, they would bus you here, but no parents just take their kids to the school. There's no buses. Oh. Yeah. Well, you just blew my mind. So yeah. um, like total squirrel <laughs> moment, but back on topic about <laughs> recruitment <laughs> and retainment of classified, you're spot on. And actually I've watched a handful of leaders. That's been a big downfall where, you know, they came into a building. It was viewed as everyone, um, as a full staff. People were divided into groups based off of job classification. And then the new leader came in and they're like, no, 
this doesn't pertain to you, almost like second-class citizens. And it, ooh, culture killer. It was really, really negative. And it took a really long time for them to recover from that. So as much as you can include everybody, like be intentional about when you're scheduling events so they can all participate, whether that's a community building, staff building activity, uh, and even at the basic level of like staff meetings, include them, right? Like why are we separating and why are we having a separate conversation with two different groups? It just alludes to the whole fact that there might be different information given to somebody else. And when we're talking about all of our students, everyone needs those pieces of information. It's like in order to have a well-oiled machine, every part has to work really well together. And you have to understand all the different intricacies and everybody's job. And so we all have to be on the same page. I think the other thing that makes me think of like classified retention and, and recruitment is that these are gonna be folks that are gonna be 100% invested in your community. Many of them have kids that are within your school systems, within your community. They're not probably going to be commuting for these jobs and you need to make darn sure that you're taking care of them because these are the folks that are sticking up for your school, your staff, your students while they're at the basketball game or at the football game Friday night. These are the people that support your kids the most and you really need them on your side and advocating for kids that align with what your goal and mission is. Is within your building. So go that extra mile, say thank you. Really don't make just classified appreciation week one week out of the school year. It needs to be intentional and built in throughout everything. You know, I love, love, love Melinda Miller and Amber Tiemann's uh, staff appreciation Facebook page. Love it. And so if you're tapping into some of those resources, you better make darn sure that you're adding in all your staff within the staff counts and you're celebrating everybody when you're doing it. Yeah. 100% agree. All right, I think we should wrap up our portion of this, Rachel. So to finish out our portion of this, if you were talking to what well, we are talking to hundreds of school leaders, what, <laughs> what would you say to them as is the number one tip or thing to think about um, in reference to the recruitment and retainment of employees? You go first, and then I'll go. If you need time to think, I'll go. And then you go, you tell me. Hmm. Okay. So here's what I got. I okay. think it's like finding the right partner in life, right? So you need to find the right partner, AKA the right teacher for you and for your building. Second, once you find them, they're almost like you could treat it as if like it's a parenting situation. You need to help train, lead, facilitate, do that gradual releases, release process. So they become stellar human beings come the age of 18 or 19. So it's not just a, I found my right person and, and now I'm done. It takes ongoing care, attention, and love and support. And it's a two-way communication street. You're going to be learning right with them as you get to know them, just like they will with you. So how about that? I love it. I love it. And then I would say it is about the relationships. It's about you as the leader, building relationships with all your people. And I would say as important, and I don't know if school leaders think about this enough, as important, it's you making sure that you're looking at your staff and seeing who is building relationships with who. And if you need to move people around, if you need to move people from fifth grade to second grade or from this department to that department or even where their classroom is so they have a stronger relationship because it's not just having the relationship with the principal, it's having the relationship with their peers and their colleagues that they're actually probably working closer with 
actually I know they're working closer with because they're talking about curriculum and students and, and everything else. So think about that as well too. And the principal has a lot to do with that in, you know, I'm going to send you three to a professional development these two days so they can bond, or I'm going to, we're going to do this. You're going to do that. Or, you know what, they're having some drama to move somebody because it's just, it's not a good match. So I think the relationship piece is so vitally important. So Rachel, we are so excited to bring on our expert guest. As people know, they can tell from the first NAESP Principal Podcast. It's Rachel and I talking about the idea and the theme for the podcast. And then we bring on a friend, a practicing leader administrator. And today our guest is an elementary principal in Texas. She is a doctoral student, a mother, a wife, and she is currently pregnant with her second child. And we are so excited to have her on the NAESP Principal Podcast today. Get ready, y'all, y'all, get ready for some Texas mojo coming at you. Portia Dudley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam and Rachel. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here with both of you. So Portia, just for the people that don't know who you are, can you just give a, a brief rundown other than what I, I know there's a lot more about you than what I, uh, what I just did, but give us a brief rundown of who you are and what you do. Okay, so thank you. So as you shared, I am Portia Dudley. I am residing here in Houston, Texas. And um, those things that you led with are most important to me. So I am a wife and a mother, um, but you know, I'm married to my husband, Christopher. We have one sweet little one. He's a five-year-old, Evan. We have another precious little one on the way in about two months, uh, little Ian. And um, I am currently a school leader in Fort Bend ISD, which is located in the Houston Sugarland area. And I have the wonderful privilege of serving as the principal the amazing Arizona Fleming Elementary, where I have served this campus um, for the past three years. It is a Title I bilingual campus, just a beautiful community that I'm so gracious to be a part of. I have been in education for uh, several years. Uh, I started in uh, 2005, and it has just been a beautiful journey ever since, uh, from being a classroom teacher and then moving into school leadership uh, as you stated, Adam, I'm also a doctoral student at the University of Houston. Uh, one of the greatest uh, journeys that I've ever been on and one of the most rewarding as well. And so uh, that's a little bit about me, but I'm super excited to be here with you. Awesome. Well, we are just beyond excited to have you here with us. So let's jump in. What are some of your tips to find the best candidates when you're filling spots at your building? A great question. So number one, I think when you're looking for candidates, um, that process of finding the best fit for your campus is very important. So I think it actually starts with your screening process as a leader. Um, and then when you actually have the person there, you are ensuring that they are the best fit for your school. Um, if we're being honest, we know sometimes that certain candidates are hired because it's like, oh yeah, Rachel, so I know you, right? So I'm a principal, I'm gonna bring you into my school. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I would need to make sure that Rachel fits into my school culture and she has the expertise and the knowledge that's needed to support the campus goals as well as what's needed for kids. So um, I think that screening process is ultimately important. 
one of the things that I love, my team loves, is when we get the candidates there. So, and we kind of talked about this, Adam, previously, is it's all about the questions that you're asking, and it's not the surface level questions, but those questions that are truly going to give you insight on if the candidate is best for your school. So I think it's being intentional about your screening process. And when you get the individual there, because it's one thing, you could find just someone who is just a dynamic interviewer, you know? And then when the ball really starts to roll in and we gotta show up for kids and we gotta show up for the school, it's like, are you truly the best fit for our school? So I think that that's very, very important that you're intentional about that and the questions that you ask, um, because that's essential. But not only with those, you know, core basic interview questions, it's giving them insight on who you are as a leader, what your expectations and vision for the school, kids, and the community is in that moment, because that's very important. And we have to make sure, because what a lot of times candidates don't understand is it's a win-win, right? So I'm looking for the best candidate for the campus to do what's best for kids, not only what's best for kids, but I always tell adults, we have to rise to the occasion every day for students, but we also have to be great for each other. So yes, you want them to love children and you want them to create this amazing experience for kids, but you also need them to come and be a part of a school community that you can work with your colleagues and collaborate and add value. So that's important. And so you wanna make sure that you are also selling your school and letting them know, this is what you're walking into. And do you wanna sign up for this? <laughs> because this is the expectation or this is the awesome environment that you get to be a part of. And I know that, you know, after we go through the questions, I always say, okay, Rachel, Adam, thank you so much for interviewing with us today. So um, if you don't mind, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our great school. And, you know, my hope would be is that the candidate has already done some work on their part. So through the interview, they'll say, oh, well, Ms. Dudley, I looked on your website or I followed your school's Twitter. And so they already have some background knowledge. But obviously with us being immersed in our campus culture, I'm going to be able to share things that they might not know. So I think that that's equally important because candidates need to understand it's a win-win. We're looking to find the best fit. You're looking to find the best job. But I always tell people, a lot of people want a job, but not everybody loves kids and wants to work for kids. So for me, I'm looking for those key things that really speak to not only our district's mission and vision, but also what we believe in at campus. So I think those are just a few starters. Yeah, I mean, I know I could not agree more. Something that I think that I think about a lot, and I've had conversations with so many leaders around the country that I don't know if people think about enough, and I want your take on it. Whenever I have an opening or had an opening, I don't look at, okay, I have an opening in second grade, or I have an opening in this department. I look at the entire school, and it's, it's, it's kind of like a chessboard because, all right, you know what? I, we need this there, so I'm going to move this person there or this, and all those moving parts because teachers think, oh, there's an opening in second grade. We're going to hire for second grade, and that is not what I think about, I think about what do I need at the school? What kind of energy, what, what kind of experience, new teacher, veteran teacher, someone with that's strong in SEL or math or equity or whatever it might be. And then me by myself or with my small team that I talk to, not the whole school, I'm moving those chess pieces. You know what? I'm going to move Portia from fifth grade to second grade, and I'm going to fill that fifth grade opening. How much do you do that? And what advice could you give to other leaders? Again, because I always ask 
people in my travels, like, you know, what do you do? And a lot of them just go, oh, I'm just filling that gap. And that's very 1975 thinking. It's very old school. Like we're just gonna, we're gonna hire for what we just lost. And I think that's a big stumbling block for people when recruiting and then also retaining mm -hmm. uh, your people. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any advice? Like, what do you think about when, okay, we have an op opening, what do you do? So I love that, Adam. And actually, when you said what you shared, to me, that's great and effective leadership because as principals or school leaders, that's something that we're constantly doing. So you kind of put it like, you know, a chessboard or a puzzle because it is that. So I agree with you in the sense that if you are looking to hire someone, obviously, in that moment for a specific content area and grade level, obviously, you have to do that because you're trying to fill that spot. But you should be looking at it from a big picture lens. Because we know for sure, like last year, I had situations where I did have to move people. And a lot of times, you know, my teachers are so amazing, but, you know, a lot of times when you have to move staff, um, they might not quite understand it from our lens. And so they might think, oh, well, why am I being moved or this or that? But a lot of times I share with them, you know, this is actually a positive, you know, and it's actually a great growth move because as an educator, not only can you service in this primary grade, but you also have the expertise and the knowledge and skill to be a fifth grade teacher, right? And so we have to say, if we are uh, rising up big for kids is that we don't wanna get too comfortable because you might have to make a move. And as a leader, it's very important that, um, because part of that retaining of teachers is knowing them, knowing their skills, knowing what's best a best fit for them and what they're capable of doing uh, and not just moving people around for the sake of moving. Now. At the same time, when you um, do make that move, I think it's important because sometimes some leaders, we don't want to make those decisions because it's like, gosh, you know, Mr. Welcome has been in, in, you know, in, in second grade for a long time, and I just really don't want to do that because X, Y, Z. But you really have to, I think it's not really about the move that you do, but it's how you present it to your staff. And so going to that individual where they're not blindsided, but you've been candid and open with them of, hey, Adam, I am going to have to move you this year. I realize that you've been in second grade for the past X amount of years, but this is why I'm making this move. And as a leader, you have to be able to stand confident in that because at the end of the day, you didn't sign up to make everyone feel light and fluffy, right? Or feel comfortable. You signed up to say, I'm going to do what's best for children. And me knowing my staff, they believe that same thing. Sometimes it's not being resistant or going against what you're wanting. They just don't understand it. And then sometimes, as we know, most often change is hard for people. Um, and so it's just empowering them to say like, hey, I'm going to support you. You're going to have what you need along the way um, and empowering them to feel good about that move. But I think that that is very, very necessary. You cannot look at it from that little small box because I always tell people, I understand that it might not make sense to you right now. But if you trust me, because I have to look at it from a big picture. So if I'm moving you, it's not just to move you. It's for a reason. And I promise in the end, it's going to be best for our school. It's going to be great for you because you're growing in the process. And also, it's what's best for children. I can think about, you know, when I was in the classroom, um, and I am so gracious uh, and grateful that my leaders believed in me. Um, and I'm a person, I believe in change. But I remember one year, I was asked to move teach a different content um, and though I taught all content areas at the time I was kind of like rocking in my ELA zone and I was uh, asked to move to be a math science 
And I'm being honest, y'all. I was like, I'm not feeling this. But to be honest, when I did it, it was such an amazing experience. And as a leader, even now, Portia not knowing like, hey, this is going to be your journey. Like, oh, how that's benefited me in a leadership role. Because now I can't only just speak to that ELA lens. I can speak to all content areas. But sometimes we don't see the benefit in it at that time. But it's all for your good in the end. So definitely, Adam, for sure, you got to see it from the big picture lens. And you can't just hire for that moment in time. You have to think about like, okay, even if I hire this candidate, would I see them or could I see them spreading their talents in other areas? Mm -hmm. That is such good stuff, Portia. And, you know, that's an area that I didn't understand when I first was in the principalship. And it wasn't until I moved to my current district where you're going to, this is going to blow your mind, but my superintendent granted small to medium sized district in Oregon, like totally not like Houston style, but he interviews every candidate we put forward. He does a second interview and he actually will deny people like Rachel, I know you want this person, but not a good fit because they're doing exactly what you're talking about. They're looking for district wide fit because those boundaries just aren't our school walls. We look at other buildings and you never know what's going to happen. And it's fascinating because he's, he's really modeled that for me, which I greatly appreciate. And I love Portia, how you're talking about how you can come to those conversations with the staff and you're like, I'm going to help you grow. This is kind of your next step. And you're almost helping them see the blind spots, which is Mm -hmm. fantastic. But I'm also going to guess that that's not the first time you have that conversation. I bet you laid that groundwork with them. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's funny that you ask, because we're at that stage right now on campus, but I I appreciate that, Rachel. and And I thank you for that, because to me, that is very necessary because our staff deserves that, right? So they deserve to understand. And I'll be honest, like what I love about my teachers, if that's happened, you know, some of them have been just very candid and honest with me, like Portia, I'm not happy about this, but I am gonna trust you and I'm gonna go for it. Or, you know, or they're like, hey, okay, didn't expect that, but I'm gonna roll with it. And so it's not always easy, um, but it's necessary. So uh, to the question you just asked, um, we actually, I do um, I have a form and most principals have this. I'm pretty sure both of you do as well. So we call it our looking ahead form. So like right now we just released to our professionals as well as our certi- certified staff. And it's just a form to um, kind of gain their interest of what their thoughts are for the upcoming year. So it asks them questions, obviously, like, you know, are you retiring? Are you planning to return back to our campus? Are you looking to do it in district transfer, et cetera, et cetera. And then, or it asks them, you know, would you like to have a private conversation with myself um, to kind of talk about what your next steps are? It, um, you know, gives them an opportunity to put their certifications, grade level interests, right? And I share that, hey, I'm going to take all of these things into consideration. There are no promises. You could end up right where you are from this year, there next year, or there could be a change. Um, And then we ask, you know, is there any certain area or grade level that might somewhat not be the best fit or might put you over the edge as an educator? And so there's all these different things that they can give us insight on. And like I shared, that's for both our paras who we could not live without, as well as our certified staff. And so then we take that information and then um, we begin to, you know, have those conversations and then also build the fort, if you will, for the upcoming year. So I use that as an example, though that may seem small, it's everything because it's very important for you as a leader to get feedback and insight from your staff. 
you win that way. And though, like I said, though it's no promises based on what's on the paper, at least you're getting their insight. And so that when you do have to have that conversation, you can say, hey, Rachel, I know that you shared on there, you know, you wanted to be back in fourth grade um, math science, but, you know, because sometimes as leaders, it's all about the allotments, right? That we have for the next year. And, and, and the thing is, is that our staff who don't have that insight, they don't know those things. So it's, you know, having that conversation. And I share that information with my staff, not just teachers, but on, you know, full staff meetings. Hey guys, I want you to know, this is what we're embarking on uh, in the coming year. And because of these changes, this is the direction we're gonna have to go in. So again, it's being transparent. It's being open for what you can share as a leader. You should share that because then it allows them to say, oh, you know, Miss Dudley's just not moving me to move. Because what I really think is unfortunate is that I'm not sure what's happened along people's journeys, but movement signifies there's an issue. And what I always try to tell people is that in good leadership, if there were concerns, challenges, or issues, you should never be hearing about it at the end of the school year when there needs to be a grade level move. And any principal, effective principal, loving principal who has your best interests is not going to move you from one grade to another to, to still be with children. So if there's concerns, you there would already have been a conversation. So most often I try to tell them like, look at it as a positive because it really is. And so it's just helping people understand it. The next time I'm in Texas, I need to come visit your school because you are one of the most thoughtful, thorough leaders that I've ever talked with, Portia, just like your global view on it and your transparency with your staff, leaders that are listening right now, you know, if it's recruitment or attainment or whatever it is, just have that thoughtful kind of global lens because I think it's going to make your job easier, more fun, and in turn, just build that culture. So one thing that... Yeah, of course, Portia. One thing you would that... love my school, by the way. I'm gonna come. I'm only one piece to it, and let me tell you, I have an amazing leadership team, an amazing staff, and our kids are totally awesome. You know, our mascot is the stars, and we live up to it. <laughs> well, I know because you are a star, and oh, um, I'm gonna come by one day, and I'm I'm gonna surprise you with a visit. <laughs> I'm just gonna like ring that little doorbell on the front. I know y'all got that got those vestibules in Texas and you're going to be like, wait, I know that guy like Portia. That you know? would be so cool. Okay. Hopefully so, when we can get past this unusual weird time, but we yes. would love to have you, you would love our school. So hundred percent. So you have these teachers, you've made the moves and you feel like you're, you're, you're kind of rolling and you're feeling good about your school. And I've been there. And I remember years and years ago, I think it was my second year as a principal, I had hired like 12 teachers in two years. I had a lot of hires, people retired, class size went down, you know, so we just, we had, the, I had the uh, fortunate job to hire, which is super fun. And then it clicked on me. I was like, I got to be able to keep these people because some of these people, some of these teachers were 23, 24, 25. They were young. They were I remember one of my teachers, Miss Wheeler. What's up, Sarah Wheeler? I hired her. Amazing kindergarten teacher. She was dating somebody that lived a little bit farther away. And I was thinking, gosh, I, I have to keep her. I want, you know, will she be able to make that drive if she gets married and moves away? And she did get married and she did move away. So how do you, how do you retain? Like, how do you keep people challenged 
so they want to feel fulfilled and part of that culture and part of that community. I know you've talked about that in different ways, but what is what are Porsche's top ways to retain people so they stay there? Because it's an investment, first of all, in the hiring. It's the investment in the retainment. Uh, so what do you what do you do? What would you tell other leaders? Like think about these things. It's great. So again, I'm one part to that puzzle. So I'd like to think that when we have a candidate come, whether that candidate ends up being on our team and a part of our Fleming family or not, that we've won them over even in the interview. Because again, it's a win-win. It's not just about them coming and saying, okay, I wanna put my best foot forth to hopefully gain the opportunity, but it's a win for us too. So um, you have to know that as a, as a leader because I've been in situations where I know this is a star candidate and I know that if they step out of my door and go next door or down the street, another colleague could swoop them up, right? Because of their star power. So you really have to um, know your school and highlight your campus in that moment. Um, I think the follow-up immediately after is also important. So, hey, Adam, so I'm just following up. Thank you so much. You interviewed with us today and you giving them that insight on when you anticipate to get back with them um, and you express to them how you know that they were a great fit. Once you've actually got them there, like you said, so that's half of the battle, because now that you've got them on the campus and they're in your classrooms and they're rocking it out for kids, you want to make sure that you can um, retain them. Part of that is the relationship, because it's all about how you make people feel and how they can continuously see themselves on your campus. But I think it's beyond just what they're doing in their classroom. Like, how are you using your amazing talents outside of your classroom walls? So that goes into, yes, you want the person to be great in the classroom or whatever their role is on the campus. I know we're specifically talking about teachers, so I'll stay there. But outside of your classroom walls, what are your other talents? So Adam, Rachel, so you're joining our Fleming team. So I know that in the interview you shared or I saw on your re resume that you are a part of this organization or this is something that you're passionate about because outside of school, I see that you give to this great charity or cause. Finding out those things and then matching it to your campus mission and vision and seeing how they can exhibit those leadership skills in other areas. So that is equally important. It's also checking in with them because here's the thing. Um, you know, we've all heard that saying that, you know, the good ones never stay long, right? Uh, but I like to think anybody that I gain on my campus that I hire under, whether it's under my leadership or not, and they're a part of my team, is that um, they're a winner. And so I have to figure out how I can keep them. So it's also figuring out one, how do you continuously grow them, right? And put them in positions where they feel that they're growing. But also um, with that, you don't wanna be afraid of people, you know, eventually saying, hey, Portia, I'm at the point that, hey, I really wanna be a part of this. And you hope that as a leader, you might have that opening on your campus, but if not, good leadership believes in empowering others because if you're just trying to keep them on your campus there's no benefit in that now you don't want to lose them but if you have an opportunity to grow and be promoted you want to support them on that and I think the best thing is is when people know that they say you know what I know my principal loves me he or she wants to keep me here but also they've asked me what my goals and aspirations are and I know that I don't have to feel bad or guilty if I do decide, because think about for us, right? We were classroom teachers before, right? And, and we wouldn't be here without that. That's where it starts and that's our first love. But we eventually had goals, right? And probably our leaders hated to lose us, but they understood it. 
So I understand that. But while you have them there, you have to build that relationship with them. Constantly checking in with them, getting a pulse on where they are, right? It's how can you grow them while you have them? And how do you support them? What mentorship are you providing for them? Um, how are you being open with them of letting them know? Hey, Adam, Rachel, hey, I know that you, you've been doing this for our campus. You're excellent at this. Hey, I foresee this opening coming up, right? And I tell people all the time, you, regardless if you're on this campus or not, you still have to interview well and rise to the occasion. I'm not saying you're getting the job, but I want you to know this opportunity is coming available and I think you should go for it if you're interested. It's also letting them know, hey, as principals, we have a wonderful network with our colleagues. Even if you might not end up here, we could put a kite out for you and you might end up somewhere else. So, you know, it's helping them understand that as well. So I think all of those things um, are important when you are um, trying to keep your people though you hate to lose them as well. <laughs> no, you do hate to lose them, but I love that that piece about how are we supporting them? How are we growing? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? I think asking those key questions are, are huge game changers as a leader. So thank you so much. Portia, you have been fantastic today. I have oh, just adored you. listening to you. So thank you, thank you. Adam's doing some air fist bumps for you. <laughs> That's so, it, y'all. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So it's been a pleasure. So, you know, everybody, thank you again for joining this episode of a, um, you know what, it's not ASCD, Learn, Teach, Lead Radio. That's another side gig. But today, <laughs> this morning, friends, it is the NAESP Principal Podcast. And you can actually learn more about NAESP at, guess what, NAESP.org. So we will see you next time. Thank you so much for this opportunity. The NAESP Principal Podcast is sponsored by the National Association of Elementary School Principals, supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade. Andy Jacks here, Senior Fellow for NAESP Centers for Advancing Leadership. Whether you are looking to develop your professional learning network, extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost, or you want to level up your professional development, NAESP has you covered. Mm -hmm.